Thank you, men. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel according to Luke. I'd like to spend the next few weeks pondering the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and God's plan. So I hope you'll plan to be here over the next few weeks as we look at God's Word together. Luke chapter 1. Are you submitted, do you feel, are you a person, do you easily submit to the authority that God puts in your life? Uh, do you find that you it's easy, does it come easy to you to submit to God's plan for your life? What do you think? Uh, some of us are more submissive than others, wouldn't you say? Um, some, some men are more submissive to their employers than others. Uh, some of us, when our employer says something, they put out a new um, bulletin, a new set of rules. Uh, some folks read the rules and it doesn't hardly phase them. And the next person, next employee stands there and looks at the bulletin board, reads the rule, or and he furls his brow and he exhales and doesn't know why. And he has to talk to like 10 people, you know, to get it out of his system. And, and some people are more submissive than others. But my question to you this morning, are you, are you submissive, uh, submitted to what God is doing in your life? Um, as I've pastored over these nine, let's see here, eight years now, um, I've observed you and, and of course I've observed myself throughout my life and how I respond to authority. And uh, I can remember at times my dad would tell me to do something, and especially as I got older in life, I think it became more pronounced. Maybe um, I, I wouldn't describe myself as being a rebel, but there were times where my dad would say something and I would, I would look him in the eyes. And then he would look back at me in the eyes. And my dad has a very, he can have a very intense uh concentrated connection of the eyes and <laughs> and uh, there was sometimes we would just look at one another for a moment and he would remind me of my role as his son and that was to submit and honor my parents um, I can remember this time of year brings back different memories for me I when I was a young man starting college I can remember going to Northland Baptist Bible College in Dunbar Wisconsin uh, not too far away from Iron Mountain, Michigan. That was about the closest place of interest. That's where we went to Walmart. And uh, the only thing in Iron Mountain, Michigan, other than Walmart, was a big ski jump. And uh, there wasn't a whole lot around us. And while I was studying for the ministry there, we went on what we called extension or a ministry extension. And one of the ministry extensions that I went on was to Northern Michigan University in Marquette, Michigan. And that was about, if I remember right, it seems like it was at least two hours closer to maybe a three-hour drive. And we would pile in, four or five of us, in this old Pontiac from the 80s. And uh, now I was, this was late 90s, okay, when I was in college there. But we would pile in this old Pontiac and we would drive that vehicle all the way to Marquette, Michigan, where we would on Wednesday nights do a Bible study with some of the NMU students. And sometimes we'd have more students than at other times. Sometimes it was just a few. And it was cold in Marquette, Michigan. That's where I was born. And, uh, and so I can remember going on that 
that extension. And sometimes I would drive the car. It wasn't mine. This particular Wednesday, I was driving the car. We had had the Bible study. And um, uh, one of the students needed a ride back to his dorm on campus. And it was cold, lots of snow piled up. And so he hopped in the car. And we had had a good night of studying the Word of God. And we, as Northland students, had a two and a half hour drive back to our campus after we dropped him off at his dorm. So I didn't know where I was on campus. He was directing me as I was driving. There was a, a, gr- a group of guys in the car, probably about five of us. And uh, we got to his dorms and he said, yeah, you can just pull right up in between the dorms here. And one of the guys in the car said, but that's a sidewalk. And he said, oh, yeah, people drive on the sidewalk all the time. And uh, and it was a large sidewalk to my defense. It was a large sidewalk, plenty of room for a Pontiac in the mid 80s, built in the mid 80s. And so, you know what, we were all having a good evening. And after all, he said that you could drive on the sidewalks on Northern Michigan University campus. And so I wheeled that Pontiac right up on the sidewalks, right up in between the the dorms to drop him off. And he got out. And just about the time his door opened, there were flashing lights And the police who came to our Pontiac did not drive on the sidewalks. They drove right through the snow and and on the sidewalks. And they came up, two cruisers came up. And and that had never happened to me that way before. But I wasn't submitted to the rules of no driving on the sidewalks. Now, I didn't know the rule. And the officer came up and he pointed his flashlight into my eyes and asked me questions. Wanted to know how much we'd been drinking that night. And my answer was, sir, we've just been doing a Bible study. Apparently, my behavior of driving the Pontiac on the sidewalks didn't match up with doing a Bible study in the eyes of that officer. And he said, and he basically said, yeah, right, you've been doing a Bible study. And he said, I want all of you, you, we're either going to take you into custody or you can let us search your book bags, which we all had book bags. And we were all like, here, search our book bags, please. And, you know, when I think about these sort of things this time of year, memories like that come back to me. Most of them are good memories, not like that one. He didn't find any alcohol in any of our backpacks, by the way. And so he let us go without incident. But I was not submitted to the rules of the no driving on the sidewalks. Now, we could say most of us here would say, well, that's ridiculous, Pastor Ferguson. What were you thinking? And I would remind you this didn't happen this last week. This happened many years ago. Um, But some of us say, that's ridiculous, Pastor Ferguson, that was so foolish, what were you thinking? Not submitting to the rules and the authority in your life at that time. But then I think of us today, and I, I think of us and I wonder, are we submitting to what the Word of God directs us to do in our lives today? And if the answer is no to that, if we're not submitting to his instruction, it is, I would dare say, more foolish and more irresponsible than it was for me to drive on that sidewalk back in the late 90s. Or we could go further and we could say, are we submitted to what God is doing in our lives today? Because Throughout my life and throughout yours, we've all met people, we've all known people, and that sometimes in our lives we've been the person where the rule was given and we furrowed our brow and sighed and said, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Why? What's the point? We don't agree. 
we're going to do what we want to do. And whether it be driving on a sidewalk, whether it be events of our lives, our lifetime, the question is, are we submitted? I think, I, I think this morning of Debbie Toman and uh, Pastor Toman's wife. And years ago now, uh, eight years ago, this past August or September, I believe it was September, she was diagnosed with cancer. Not able to. I mean, for so many years, we enjoyed her standing here singing solos with her beautiful soprano voice, ministering amongst us. And yet God chose a path for her life. And she's had to embrace, to a degree, the cross that God has called her to bear. When I look at this passage of Scripture, and it, it's a wonderful truth, it's a wonderful passage full of truth, uh, prophecy, really, uh, pronouncement of this angel of God to Mary about the fact that she's going to give birth to a child. And he tells Mary who this child is and, and what he's going to do and what he's going to be, and it's really a tremendous pronouncement to Mary. But one of the things that stands out to me in this passage is that Mary was submitted to the plan that God had for her life. And we could look back at this and we could say, well, Mary, well, she was the most blessed among women. I mean, this was a tremendous blessing. What a privilege it was for Mary. Yes, well, we see it in the big picture, but Mary actually lived long enough to watch her son be crucified. Mary lived long enough to watch her son be rejected and lied about, and mocked, and ridiculed. I mean, these are not easy things. So many of the things that Mary was able to enjoy were wonderful. That is true, but it is also true that God's will for Mary's life as it related to Jesus was also terribly difficult at times. I want you to look at the text with me, Luke chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse number 26. It says this, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, this was an archangel, he was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and of the uh, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. She was working and sorting all these things out. Verse 30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was also called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. In verse 38, I'll draw your attention to this. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid 
of the Lord. And the word handmade there comes from the Greek word doule. We, you might have heard the Greek word doulas. This is the feminine version of that. It means slave. And the idea is very clear. God, I'll do whatever you have for me to do. And then notice how it ends in verse 38. She says, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Be it unto me according to thy word. How many of us this morning can say, Lord, I am submitted to you to go through whatever it is you have for me to go through. I trust you enough, Lord. Have your will and your way in my life. I'll, I'll do whatever it is that you have for me to do. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning as we begin this December on Sundays and, and we'll be looking at and considering the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I'm reminded that many saints throughout history have been faced with many challenges, situations, trials, and tests. And all of us, every single one of us, have been faced with this, whether or not we will willingly submit ourselves to our Lord and our Savior. Father, it seems easy from our perspective for Mary to submit. It seems sensible for Mary to submit. But sometimes we look at our own lives and we, in our situation and we say it's not sensible for us to have a submissive spirit. And Father, we understand that if it is your will, then it is sensible and right to have a submissive and a godly spirit, a Christ-like spirit. So, Father, I pray that you'd give us wisdom, challenge our hearts this morning, I pray, uplift our hearts by the glorious pronouncement in this passage. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So look again at verse number 26 in the text. Verse 26, and in the sixth month, that would be the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, um, of course, with John the Baptist, she's pregnant with John the Baptist. In the sixth month that she was pregnant for John the Baptist, the angel Gabriel, uh, this archangel, was sent from God unto a city of Galilee. And they have to tell us the region, and they tell us the name of the city. The city's name was Nazareth. Um, I'm reminded of John chapter 1, where the question was asked, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. It's just a hole in the wall. Nobody knows where it's at. And it, it, this place, this town called uh, Nazareth would hardly have been known by anybody outside of Palestine. Nobody else would have known that the place even existed. It just is not a was not a big place. And so it has to be described for us by its location, in verse 26, sent from God unto a city of Galilee. Everybody knew the region, but people didn't know the cities. Nazareth was just very insignificant. And I, I always marvel in, within the word of God how God uses 
places that are insignificant. He uses people that are insignificant to do incredible and marvelous things. And so it wasn't an important place at all. There were roads that ran from the east to the west in, within the Roman Empire. And they ran from Europe all across the Middle East into Asia. But those roads that ran east and west did not run through Nazareth. It was out of the way. There were roads in those days, Romans, Roman roads that ran north and south. They wrote, they, those roads ran from Africa, Africa up north through that narrow spit of land called Palestine up uh, further to the north. But those roads all missed Nazareth as well. And so there were people traveling. Many people traveled. There were roads, but not through this place called Nazareth. It was an out-of-the-way uh Nothing good came out of it. Verse 27, the, the archangel, the Bible says, came to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, Gabriel comes down from the presence of God. Think about this. He comes down from the presence of God to a region of Galilee, to this little town of Nazareth, to a virgin, the Bible says, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, who's a descendant of King David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel comes down and goes to one house out of all of the houses in Nazareth. And there wouldn't have been, uh, it was not a large city. It was a small town, but still there were many houses. And the angel comes intentionally to one house. God had chosen one person for this task. And God doesn't make mistakes. And God didn't make a mistake choosing Mary to bear the Son of God. And God doesn't mistake make mistakes with you or me in the places that He has us, the life, uh, the lives that He gives us, the length of life that He gives us. God makes no mistake. And really, this is a most astonishing thing out of all the purposes and plans of God that could have been. And he could have done anything that he wanted to do. He chose Mary. At that time in history, and, he, and, and so the archangel comes down in verse 27, the Bible says to a virgin. And the word virgin, Parthenos, it means one who has had no sexual relations. That's what that word means, virgin. And the word is never used, this word virgin is never used of a married woman. According to the Roman law in Jesus' day, the minimum age for girls to be engaged and married was 12 years of age. And for boys, whom we all know develop slower than girls, don't tell uh, Ian or Tori I'm talking, saying these things, but uh, we all know that boys tend to mature more slowly the Roman law was 14. They had to be 14 to be married. Augustus, the emperor, had set the minimum age at 10 at one point, and that would be for engagement. The Jewish practices there in Roman-controlled Palestine basically followed the Roman law. Girls were usually engaged around 12 or 13, and they were married after that engagement or the betrothal was over. 
So I think Shylin, are you up there? Shylin's in the sound booth. How old are you? Twelve. All right. Well, it's a good thing you live in 2020. I don't know if your dad'd be willing to give you away to marriage just yet. <laughs> He's given the, the thumbs down. But in those days, 12, 13, 14 years of age, people were getting married. That was normal. So there was a reason, I think, why some of these laws were in place. Uh, they, they did some of these things because it would guarantee the virginity of the young person. And as soon as they had reached puberty, they would be engaged, and then soon they would be married. And that way, they didn't have to live for years trying to restrain their normal adult passions. And so here we have this woman, Mary, and she could have been as young as 12 years of age. She could have been older than that. The Bible doesn't give us her age. But this is a young lady. And I do mean young, and she's engaged to a young man. So literally, the word engaged is the word betrothed, okay? The word engaged is the idea of betrothal. And it's betrothal was more than what we think of today as engagement. It's not the same at all. Betrothal was a legal binding relationship, okay? Everything, every, everything had been done except for consummation. And it was arranged, these marriages were arranged by the parents, which I'm still a big fan of that. Um, look at verse number 28. We'll read down through verse 30. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, which it was a, was a hello, it was rejoice, be glad, be joyful. And then uh, Gabriel, the archangel, says, thou, Hail, thou that art highly favored. You're being bestowed upon by, with a special honor. You've been accepted. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled. You can imagine that as his say, at his saying. And cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. God chose Mary because Mary found favor with God. By the way, to this day, God still gives grace to the humble. In that sense, God shows favor to us today. He, show, he gives gr more grace, James says, and 1 Peter says, he gives more grace to the humble, and he resisteth the proud. But God chose Mary because she had found favor with God. So let's ponder, and you remember later on, after the shepherds come and they worship Jesus, uh, the Bible says that Mary pondered these things in her heart. That's another word I like, the word ponder. To think about, to mull over. What is happening? I'm taking all of this, taking this truth in, I'm taking in this experience, I'm pondering it, I'm considering it. And so I want us to ponder this pronouncement of Gabriel to Mary this morning. And the pronouncement is basically this. The baby that you're going to give birth to, Mary, is going to be, well, he's not just going to be, he is God. <laughs> that'll, give you, that'll get your ponderer going if you're Mary. I'm going to give birth to a child, but he's God. That's something to think about. 
Another pronouncement is that the baby that you're going to be giving birth to is going to be the Savior. It's going to be the Messiah. And the babe, thirdly, the babe that you will give birth to will reign forever and ever. I mean, all of these things, it's just so much to take in. So let's ponder them in the time that we have. First of all, the pronouncement that Jesus Christ, the baby you're going to give birth to, is God. He's God. Look at verse number 31, the beginning part. Gabriel says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. Look at verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now the way Jesus was conceived made him different from any other child ever born. No other child had had ever been or has ever been conceived this way. About 760 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah had prophesied To this degree, he said in chapter 7 of Isaiah, in verse 14, he said, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. In Matthew chapter 1, in verse 23, the angel of the Lord had appeared to Joseph, and he said this to Joseph, he said, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So Mary's being told by Gabriel, you're going to have a baby. Congratulations, Mary. You're going to have a baby. And he's going to be God. I mean, this is a stunning pronouncement. In John chapter 1, in verse 14, the Bible says this, and the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. You remember in our study of John chapter 1, the beginning verses, it says in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, was the Word, that's a divine expression, and the Word, the divine expression of God, was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not made anything that was made. I mean, all of this is just so much to take in. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him. The Word has no beginning. The Word has no ending. The Word is God, Jesus. He became God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God took on human flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as only as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Gabriel here comes to Mary, and, she, and he says to her, you're going to have a baby. Congratulations. Now, remember, she's betrothed, but she's a virgin. There's been no sexual relationships. You're going to have a baby, and he's God. He's the Son of God. I mean, all of this for this young girl. 
like Shailen being 12. My, my daughter Tori is 12. I, I mean, this is a lot to take in. I don't care how old you are, right? This is a lot to take in. Mary was told that this child, Jesus, was going to be holy. You saw it there in verse 35, the latter part. It, the Bible, Gabriel calls this baby that holy thing, which could be translated that holy one. And outside of Christ's birth, no other child has ever been born holy. How many of us have, have, have children and they were born to us, but they didn't come to us holy, right? Uh, they had some holes in their character, but there were no, they, were not, they themselves were not holy. And I, and I adore my children. I love playing with them. I love working with them. Last, yesterday, we had a problem with the drain from the washing machine draining out. And we have a basement. It's got one of those shellback pumps, which catches it and has to pump it up and out of the... Boy, that's a terrible idea. Someone has got to come up with a better idea. But anyway... Uh, something, a little little piece of plastic. We didn't know it at the time, but the pump was no longer draining. And so I had to get all the water out of the, the laundry sinks, two of them, get all that up, buckets up the stairs, just fun, you know, on a Saturday. Um, get all that emptied out and then get to take apart the shellback pump underneath the sink. Water's coming out, towels are there, I'm down face down in the basement. It's just great. I love it. So, you know, because I love it so much, I thought, you know what? I want to include my son in this joy. You know, this is a great opportunity for him to learn. And so Ian was there wondering, why am I here probably? And we found out what the problem was. It wasn't the pump, thankfully. It was a little piece of plastic that apparently came out of someone's pocket and got down through the drain and was stuck right in the pipe. So that was an easy fix, right? Plumber's putty and my son and me and water and wet rag. Just a great time. I, I love my children. I love working with them. I love playing with them. I love when William comes up and he'll stick out his chest and he'll say, he'll look at me and say, you and me. And I'll say, oh, I don't know. And he'll say, come on, let's, let's, can't tell him I said this, let's wrestle. Let's, let's wrestle. Okay. And, uh, and then he, and basically now I'm getting to the point where I'm getting old enough where wrestling hurts. Like it hurts. Like I ache when they're done. And, uh, I used to set a timer. I don't set a timer anymore. Uh, my timer is here. When I'm done, the timer goes off. I mean, that's it. It's over. I can't take anymore, but I love to go wrestle with them. Libby loves to tickle me. She's the worst tickler on earth. It's like torture. And I tell her this. You are not a tickler. You're a torturer. You need my neck with your nails. I have marks like stop tickling me, Olivia. But I love my children. None of them were born holy. No, none of them were. Jesus was the only one born holy. Hebrews chapter four tells us about our Lord and Savior. He sa it says this, that he was in all points tempted like as we are. Think about that. Jesus was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. That's a big distinction between you and me. We're tempted, aren't we? Are, we, are our temptations diverse? Yes. Do we always come out of temptation victorious without sin? No. I mean, I'd like to be able to say to you, 
you know what, I always come out without sin. That's not true. I'm a man just as you are a man or a, a mankind. Jesus, though, was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. And Jesus and, Mary, and Gabriel's telling Mary this, you're going to give birth to, to Jesus. He's going to be holy. And he's going to be called the Son of God. You see that at the end of verse number 35. And the Hebrew thought of that day, and I've, I've mentioned this to you before, but the Hebrew thought of that day was that, that sons were a carbon copy of their fathers. In John 1, in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the only Son of God that was begotten physically. Mary was surrendered to God's plan. The pronouncement was, you're going to have a baby, Mary. And He's going to be holy. He's going to be the Son of God. In fact, He is God. In human flesh, you're going to have a baby. Congratulations. Mary's response, as we'll see later on, was she was submitted to God's plan. The second pronouncement, I see it in verse 31, that the babe that Mary was going to give birth to, Jesus Christ, was going to be the Messiah. She was, he was going to be the Savior. Look at verse 31. The very last part, I believe, of verse 31, it says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, now he tells her his name and shall call his name Jesus. And, and what's in a name? Well, there's a lot in this name. It means Savior or literally Jehovah is Savior. The Lord is salvation. That's what the name Jesus means. The babe you're going to give birth to, Mary, Jesus Christ is going to be the Savior. In Matthew 1, in verse 21, Joseph was told, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. This was the purpose. Jesus later said that. He had come to seek and to save that which was lost. The, the sinners of that day. To some degree, Israel as a whole, you and me, the sinners of the future, Jesus Christ came to save that which was lost. And Mary, I find, is surrendered to God's plan. And maybe a good question for us this morning in 2020 is, and we could say, well, well of course, Mary would be surrendered to this plan. And the archangel of God comes to her and says, hey, Mary, this is the plan. But maybe we ought to weigh our spirits in 2020. Maybe we ought to weigh our spirits today, the day in which we're living. Is our, are our hearts in such a place where we could be, be willing to say, would, would we be willing to say, if God were to come to me and say, Seth, this is my plan for you. What would my response be to him? Well, of course, we'd all respond with a resounding yes. As long as it included more time to relax, better health, greater income. But see, that's not how God works. Guaranteed success without anybody disliking us or questioning us. 
you know, we have more wisdom, we don't make mistakes anymore. I mean, what are we looking for? We, we need to be surrendered to God's plan. Mary was. She was surrendered to this plan of, of Jesus Christ, this baby, being the Savior of the world. Jesus was born to save people from sin. How do you view sinners? How do I view sinners? Now, we all sin, but how do we view those who hate God? Now, I want you to think about this. How do you view people who hate God? You love him because you recognize he loves you. And we recognize, and December is a special month for us as believers because it's a month where we're reminded throughout the month that God loved us to such a degree that he was willing to come to earth himself, send his son to earth to become a man, to be rejected of the world, to die and take our sins upon his body and and die for us and be buried and to to raise from the dead again. So we love him. This is a special month to us. But when you think about those who are unsaved, outside of Christ, those who hate God, those who hate liberty, those who hate freedom, those who hate truth, the rejectors of truth. How do you think of them? What do you think of them? When we, when we talk about missions, and we have missionary family here, and we, we think this it's a romantic idea of missions. These people are willing to leave the United States They're willing to go to a foreign land to give people the gospel. To give who the gospel? What kind of people the gospel? People who love God? People, and I'm when I say this, I'm saying it intentionally, people who are like us, who think like us, who agree with us, is that is that what missions is for? Is that what is that what who the gospel is for? People who think like us, that's a very narrow, I think that's a misplay. And I'm not saying that you think that way, but that's not who the gospel is for. We, that's not who we used to be ourselves. We used to be rebels from, with, from God and aliens from God by wicked works. And the enemies of God, the enemies of liberty are the ones who need salvation. There's a slide on the uh, screen in the foyer, John 3.16. God so loved the world, just as it is, full of rebels who hate liberty, who hate freedom, who hate truth, who hate God. And Mary, you're going to have a baby, and he's going. you're going to name him Jesus. Why? Because... The Lord is salvation. Jehovah is Savior. He is going to save his people from their sins. May we never forget that enemies to the gospel and enemies our freedom are the ones who need the Lord Jesus Christ. And we used to be there. And we ought not live that way. We ought not hate truth. We ought to seek the truth. 
And Jesus Christ is he's being born to save sinners unto righteousness, to buy us back from the penalty and power of sin and restore us to God. I love it when my children sometimes will pray, and normally I think it's dearest to me when they're young. So William's the youngest now, and it's I find it adorable, I find it endearing, I find it sometimes convicting. When a, a young child who believes that God will save anyone and they don't see people by what by their philosophy or their ideology or their their position in life, their status, they just see it, them as a person. And it's always wonderful to me when I hear a William or the other children as they were younger, when they would pray for someone whom I may disagree with and maybe someone who is unsaved and the child just prays just very in a childlike way, God, would you please save them? And there's just this innocence. There's just this love. They understand that God loves them just like God loves me and and we as adults tend to get caught up in, well, they don't agree with me. And they're wrong on all of these points. And sometimes we find ourselves as adults not praying for their salvation anymore. Just angry. God so loved the world, which happens to be made up of sinners. Whom God can make saints. Thirdly, this baby, Mary, not only is he God, not only is he the Savior, but Mary, someday he's going to rule and reign. Look at verse 32. Look back to verse 32. I'll read verses 32 and 33. He's going to reign. In verse 32, the Bible, or Gabriel says, He shall be great. And shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob, Jacob, forever. Of course, Jacob's name was later uh, changed to Israel. He shall, rule, he shall reign over the house of Israel, of Jacob forever. And, his king, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now, I think Mary had some tremendous expectations of this baby. As parents, we tend to do that on our children, don't we? Especially young parents. Um, <laughs> did you ever do that to your children? Have expectations for them that they didn't meet? You know, so many things. Getting Ian out there, getting him a metal baseball bat when he's barely can pick the thing up. I've got the hard ball, and I'm like, all right, stand like this, son. Put your elbow up. This is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me, or me more than it's going to hurt you, you know, and swing, you know, and he wasn't ready for that stuff. Here's a glove. Here's the ball. So he's like, don't you think you should start out with a, a spongy softball? No, no, he needs to learn, you know, and it's just silly. Okay, it's time for you to learn to ride a bike, son. This is a chainsaw. I mean, we, we tend to do this stuff you know, to our children. I, I think Mary had 
wonderfully high expectations for Jesus. For this promised child, but her expectations were nothing compared to the fulfillment of the angel's words. In other words, sometimes our children don't meet our expectations. Sometimes they exceed our expectations. My point is this. Mary, I think, had very high and lofty expectations for Jesus Christ. But what Gabriel was telling her and what actually ended up happening far and and what will happen still yet to come will far exceed any imagination that Mary could have ever had of who Jesus was. He's more than what she could imagine. And that's true for you and for me today. He's more than what we can imagine. We know so much of him by his word and by his spirit who lives within us and by what he's accomplished and is accomplishing in our lives. But friend, he is more than we can comprehend. And Mary, as she's hearing all of this, these pronouncements about this baby that she's going to have, he's, he's God, he's, he's the Savior, he's going to rule and reign. It's all beyond her comprehension, but Mary is submitted to the will of God. Mary was told in verse 32, the latter part, that Jesus would be given the throne of his father David. Speaking of King David, someday Jesus is going to sit on David's throne when he reigns during the millennial reign of Christ. After the seven years of tribulation, Jesus will return to this earth and he will set up a throne and a kingdom and he will rule and reign for a thousand years. The Bible says that the lion will lay down with the lamb. And eventually throughout all of eternity, he's going to rule and reign. In verse 33, the beginning part, Mary was told that Jesus was going to reign over the house of of Jacob, of Israel, forever. Jeremiah the prophet had prophesied this in chapter 23 of Jeremiah. In verse 5, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. How many of us in this room want judgment and justice? Now, we want God's grace and his mercy, too, I dare say. But is it not a wonderful thing to have a king, a government, with Jesus as the king, who will rule and reign? There will be no getting by. I think we should all be cautious. It's easy, and I'm afraid it's even become popular or the norm this year to identify others as the enemy and to be able to give 12 reasons why they are the enemy. And when I think about this idea of of Jesus ruling and reigning with justice and judgment, and I'm I'm saying this as a warning, as a word of caution to us this morning, we might be tempted to sit there and think, yeah, I can't wait for that day. 
And the Lord returns and sets those people right. But justice and judgment will be for all people. We have all been wrong more times than we can remember or know or would ever like to admit. I'm not saying that we should go through life without discernment. I'm not saying that we should go through life and just accept what everyone or anyone says and just say, hey, you know what? Sure, I believe whatever you say and whatever. That's not, that's not, truth is not found in that. But he is going to return and he's going to exercise, execute judgment and justice in the earth. Jesus is going to reign as king over the nation of Israel. And it's going to begin during the millennial reign, but it's going to continue for all of eternity. And of course, after the millennial reign of Christ, there will be no more sin. And Mary here is told, and finally I'll end with this, Mary was told that Jesus' kingdom would never end. Never end. You see it in verse 33, the latter part. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And there's no doubt in my mind that Mary understood that Gabriel was telling her of the Messiah. Hamashiach. His name was Yeshua. Yeshua. Jesus. In Isaiah 9 and verse 6, Isaiah had prophesied, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever and then Isaiah ends with this. And this is a wonderful statement. He says, the zeal of the Lord, the zeal of Jehovah of hosts will perform this. In other words, nothing, nobody is going to stand in the way of this. And Mary doesn't seem to be surprised that the Messiah was, was to come. But she was, I think, very surprised that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. The Hebrew girls would have dreamt of being the mother of the Messiah. They would have dreamt of being the mother of the one that was favored of God, the one who would be favored of God and chosen to birth the Messiah. It's obvious that Mary here is overwhelmed by the words of Gabriel. In verse number 34, you see it there, she blurts out, How shall this be, seeing that I know not a man? Remember, Mary is a virgin and she intended to remain a virgin until her marriage. Mary didn't doubt the angel's words. She's just merely wondering aloud, how, how, how is she supposed to give birth when she has not had sexual relations with a man? How is this going to be accomplished? And she doesn't understand how this is going to work. And there are often times in our lives where we don't understand how it's going to work. Lord, give us the details. To some degree, Gabriel does give Mary the details in verse number 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Look at verse 36. 
And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. This is an example. You know, when Hebrews talks about us being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, in other words, that's to help us to strengthen our faith, that we're not the only ones who have ever gone through life before. We're actually surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. What have they witnessed? What did Noah witness? What did Abraham witness? What did Rahab witness? They, they witnessed this, that God was enough. That God was sufficient. That God was able. That God delivered. That God could be trusted. That God saves. And, and, and they didn't witness it because their lives were all easy or that none of them ever failed. No, they did fail. Samson's actually listed in Hebrews chapter 11. He failed, but he learned something. and He's a witness that God is able and you are witnesses. And, and it is a wonderful blessing and an encouragement to all of us to be surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that God is able because there are moments in our lives where we're not so sure he is. We're not so sure he is enough at moments. And we're reminded of his words. And then we look around and we see one another running the race that God has set before us. And we're reminded that God is enough. And I look at some of you who are older than me, who have endured much more than I have. And I think of the temptations that I face and the, and the temptations I face to give in or to give up. And then I look at you and I'm reminded of there are others, witnesses, witnesses of God's goodness and his mercy and his power and his grace. And these people haven't given up. Your testimonies to me that God is enough. And he gives her this example. Behold, look and see thy cousin Elizabeth. She also, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. Verse, 30, verse 37, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Mary's perspective was this. What you're saying is impossible. But <laughs> I'm a virgin. I can't have a baby. This is a great speech, Gabriel. But it, it's impossible. That was Mary's perspective. And Gabriel says, consider your cousin. And then he says, with, with God, nothing is impossible. And for you and for me, let's look around at the saints who have gone before us. Let's consider them. Let's consider one another, honestly, knowing that each one of us is tempted. Each one of us has tried. That I am not alone in this. And that just as God is enough for the fields, or my parents, or the Gosnells, or for the Walkers, or for the Jexes, and I go around this room, so too is he enough for me. Because with God, nothing is impossible. And when we believe that, it leads us to a conclusion. And the conclusion is in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the dule, the handmaid, the slave of the Lord. Lord, because nothing is impossible with you, 
you can ask me to do anything you want to ask me to do. Whatever you decide for my life, I will do it. And I love the way verse 38 in the middle part says, she says this, be it unto me according to thy word. Gabriel, Gabriel, what you've described, I don't see how that's going to work. I don't see how that's possible except for God. And so your will, your word be done in my life. As we come, as this year is drawing to a close, for most of us, our lives are not drawing to a close. 2020 is going to end, but life, for most of us, is going to continue. And some of what we've experienced in 2020 is going to continue into 2021. Say, Pastor, thank you so much. You're such an encourager. But nothing is impossible with God. Be it unto me, according to thy word, Lord. She was submitted. What a sweet, wonderful young lady. I'm going to ask you to stand your feet. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love for us in sending your son. And we've pondered this morning a couple of things. One, I think, is the glorious birth of this pronouncement, this prophecy of who Jesus is. But then also, Lord, I've been convicted as I've considered the life of Mary, this young lady who, in, who, who struggled with faith, like we all do, thought this is impossible. This is an impossible situation. And yet, when she was reminded of what you can do, she quickly found herself sweetly submitted to what you were doing. And Father, I understand from your word that you rule in the affairs of men. Father, help us as a church to be witnesses to you. Help us to point people to you. And Lord, that's not going to happen if we don't trust you. So, Father, help us as your people. Convict our hearts. And I pray these things for your glory. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.